In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. We are remembering a Georgia political giant who might be the last of his kind. Try to be some, somebody that somebody likes to sit down with. Because you can't get a problem solved, you can't sit down across the table from somebody. This is Politically Georgia, and I'm your host, Greg Bluestein. We're bringing you a special episode today to reflect on the life and legacy of Johnny Isaacson, who died Sunday morning after a years-long battle with Parkinson's disease. Today, I'm joined by AJC political insider Patricia Murphy and Tamar Hallerman, a senior reporter and former AJC Washington correspondent who became an expert on Senator Isaacson after years of covering him. Thanks for joining us today, Patricia and Tamar. Hey, Greg. Thank you. Well, Tamara, let's start with you, because when you took this job at the AJC about five years ago, it was to cover a Georgia delegation in Washington that had its fair share of political personalities with John Lewis, Doug Collins, David Perdue. But but Johnny Isaacson, he had his own distinct reputation. Absolutely. He held such a singular place, not only in the Georgia delegation, but in the U.S. Senate as a whole. He was so beloved and admired in a way that just few others are in this really rancorous political climate we were in. He had a political motto that he would say over and over again to his staff and to everyone he met. And he would say, there's two types of people in in this world. There are friends and there are future friends. And that is 100% the way that he approached his job on Capitol Hill. And that's the way that many of his colleagues in the U.S. Senate saw him. His friends extended from Mitch McConnell, um, a great friend of his who Johnny would go and just drop in on unannounced sometimes in his offices on Capitol Hill. It extended to liberals like Barbara Boxer from California, one of the most liberal members of the U.S. Senate. Senate. They actually ended up taking a trip together to Greenland to study climate change a couple of years ago. And at the time, a lot of people who knew Johnny Isaacson, a lot of Republicans kind of rolled their eyes, scratched their heads, thinking, what in the world is he doing going to Greenland with somebody like Barbara Boxer? But that ended up paying so many dividends politically. Um, they worked together on the Ethics Committee, a really sensitive job. But Barbara Boxer helped him years later when water rights uh, language popped up on, on a water policy bill that she was overseeing through her committee work. And she actually ended up knocking out that language, which uh, Johnny Isaacson and many Georgia members thought would hurt Georgia because of the strength of her relationship with Johnny. And I feel like that explains how he maneuvered his way in the U.S. Senate so well. The headline of of Johnny Isaacson's obituary on AJC.com says kind of exactly that, Tamar. Georgia politician respected by both sides. The lead sentence of that obit, which you and Daniel Malloy wrote, says, Johnny Isaacson spent his life cutting deals. The senator's bipartisan deal-making is one of the many ways he'll be remembered. And, and as, as you mentioned, he spent quite a bit of his final speech in the Senate talking about that in 2019. I am a 
a bipartisan person. I never saw people get, done, get things done by not agreeing with each other. You have to come to agreement. I made a living selling houses. You can't ever solve a problem if you got two people and they won't agree to the price and agree to time to move. You have to find common ground. Same thing with the law. You can't pass a law, you can't solve a problem. But bipartisan doesn't mean that a Democrat and a Republican talk to each other every once in a while. It doesn't mean, it means this, it means that two people come together, probably have differences, probably have a lot of differences, but they find a way to get to the end of the trail where there's a possibility of a solution. And then they do the things you have to do to get that position. America's today is built on people who found a way to get to that end of the solution. Patricia, you know, he talked about common ground, bipartisanship consensus. It just seems like an almost quaint version of American politics in the, in the pre-Donald Trump era. Yeah, it seems like this is the last of a breed with Senator Isaacson, but he wasn't, um, you know, he had just an incredibly pleasant demeanor. He was really funny. He was really jovial and engaging, but it also was a strategic choice on his part. That was the path for him to really make progress on the issues that he cared about. When he cared about issues, particularly affecting veterans, um, cared a great deal, obviously, about Georgia, moving issues related to disaster relief here in the state. He worked really closely with Chuck Schumer also for disaster relief related to Sandy and Hurricane Sandy in New York. So he was able to do a lot of horse trading because he had a great relationship with so many Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. And so it wasn't just that, oh, isn't Johnny Isaacson a nice person? Johnny Isaacson was an incredibly effective senator for Georgia because of the way he approached his job. Tamar, you were on the ground for covering so many of those deals that he brokered, so many of those tough votes that sometimes he went against party lines and sometimes he joined with the with the Republican majority. But you were there, you, you covered... Um, sort of the angst around some of his decisions, too. What was that like? <laughs> Johnny Isaacson could be sort of frustrating in that way as a reporter who was seeking to figure out just exactly what he was trying to do, which side he was going to be negotiating on. I remember bugging him as there was a shutdown over Trump's proposed border wall uh, that was really stretching on. It was leading to all sorts of issues. And there's also a bipartisan group of senators that was trying to come to an agreement on immigration policy kind of in conjunction with that. And every day I would try and find him being like, what are you pushing for? What position, you know, where are you coming from today? And sometimes he could be so hard to read. And of course, it was a very much a strategic thing on his end. He wanted to leave as much space available so that he could try and broker an agreement. And it really does go back to his days in real estate, his days in the state legislature when he was one of the only Republicans at a time when Democrats really dominated the state. It's also important to note that he was given room to operate in a way that no other Republican in Georgia right now is able to have. You know, he was truly a, a godfather of Republican politics, um, given all his years in the state house. He spent about 45 years in public life. And so because of that, he generated enough goodwill with all of the, you know, all the other elected officials that it bought him room to be able to take stances that your run of the mill kind of younger Republican would not be able to take today because that would be political suicide. Let's dive into that because, Patricia, you're a veteran of both Congress and the Gold Dome. Johnny Isaacson was someone who left his mark in both places. He gets rightly credited with helping to build the modern Republican Party in Georgia and, and nationally. Um, you know, you've, you, you, you cover the trajectory of his career. How did that change things? 
Well, I would say, you know, he was uh, the House member who came in after Newt Gingrich when Newt Gingrich decided to resign from the House rather than face the chance that he might not actually be elected speaker. So there were very high expectations that Gingrich would be succeeded by an equally partisan Republican. Because that was a special election, it was an unusual situation that Isaacson didn't actually have to get through a partisan Republican primary. It was an open special election which was a way for him to get into Congress in a way that he had had a harder time winning over really far-right Republicans before. So he moved up into that sixth district seat. He spoke from the well of the... Um, of the House floor on his first day, right after John Lewis had introduced him. And John Lewis introduces Johnny Isaacson um, in a kind of a tradition that they have on the House floor. He says, I want to welcome my friend Johnny Isaacson to the House. Johnny Isaacson, not knowing the difference between the Republican microphones and the Democratic microphones, goes and speaks at the Democratic microphone, which is what uh, where John Lewis had just been. And he had a voice right over his shoulder very quickly. Republicans say, we already heard you were a liberal. You're just trying to prove everybody right. And so he said he got a really quick introduction to just how partisan Washington had become right after the impeachment of President Clinton, right after Newt Gingrich went out in a blaze of glory. He walked into this wildly acerbic, toxic environment, but he was able to start to forge ahead with his own kind of brand of politics. And he didn't do that by being a super conservative Republican, but he started off right away by forging those relationships. He was a traditional, I would say, quiet backbencher at first. He's not like a Marjorie Taylor Greene, did not come in, uh, you know, firing off statements and getting attention. He really did the work um, of those traditional backbenchers. He moved up pretty quickly to the Senate six years later. He didn't spend a lot of time in the House, which was a lot more partisan. And I think that he found the Senate to be a lot more to his liking. Um, But I think it's really important to note that he was a very loyal Republican. He did not he was not the Joe Manchin of his day. He was not even, um, uh, there were a number of senators, uh, Jim Jeffords was one from Vermont, um, uh, other senators who had crossed back and forth over the all, all the time. Isaacson was one who really remained loyal to Mitch McConnell. He was a real party loyalist, but you would see his bipartisanship come through in his own initiatives. When he wanted to pass a specific bill, an individual item, he would reach right across the aisle. He already had those relationships like Tamar talked about with Barbara Boxer, lots of other Democrats. Chris Coons was his one, of, one of his best friends who was from Delaware, who had come in um, behind President Biden. So he really used his bipartisan strength on individual bills rather than sort of drawing a lot of attention to himself as a big sort of as a big party buster. And I thought that was a fascinating distinction with the way he was doing his business. That's a very good point, Tamar. He was he was not a maverick or a swing vote. He was a reliably conservative vote. But yeah, he would he would cross party lines uh, when it mattered. By the time you got to the Senate to cover him in the Senate for the AJC, he was an established figure, but he was also an established deal maker. Absolutely. And he used a lot of his political capital to help Georgia get its parochial priorities through Washington. Um, So right after he arrived in the Senate um, in the mid 2000s, uh, the the pension plan for Delta pilots, for example, was about to go under. And he went and kind of used his very limited leverage as a freshman senator 
um, sat in on a lot of meetings, actually went against uh, what the George W. Bush administration and many congressional leaders were pushing for, and kind of vote by vote, person by person, started changing minds about that and was able to, to kind of formulate a way to save a lot of those pension plans. Uh, whenever Governor Nathan Deal needed help on uh, water rights problems, uh, money for the Savannah port, it was Johnny Isaacson who was called first because everyone knew that he not only had the relationships with Republican leaders like Mitch McConnell, uh, but he also had that political capital with Democrats who they need to get stuff through. Well, look, we, t- we talked about what John Lewis said when Johnny Isaacson was introduced to the U.S. House. Now let's talk about what John Lewis said when Johnny Isaacson was retiring from the U.S. Senate. Johnny delivered a reputation or developed a great reputation as a bridge builder, a man who has strong belief, but also willing to work with others to get things done. Very quickly, members of the House and Senate discover how true this was. The senator does not make a lot of a noise, but he has the ability and the power, the capacity to speak to power. And then there's the end of that speech, which is a really a fitting final image of Senator Isaacson's time in Washington. You have been very good to the people of the state of Georgia, and I'm lucky enough and just blessed really to to call you a friend and a brother. Thank you so much. Madam Speaker, it is almost difficult to yield back to time when I speak of this good and great leader from the state of Georgia. Thank you, brother, for your service. I will come over and meet you, brother. Madam Speaker, I wish all of America could be here to see that. Two icons from Georgia embracing. What a wonderful sight that I think is representative of the days of the past and the days to come uh, and and how we should uh, work together. Thank you. Thank you both so much. Tomorrow, there wasn't a dry eye in that chamber that day. Yeah, I mean, and this was Johnny Isaacson kind of saying his swan song after about 45 years in public life. Uh, at that point, his Parkinson's had progressed. He was walking around with a cane, often being pushed around in, in a wheelchair by his aide, um, you know, kind of a, very much a shuffling gait. It was hard for him to move around. And then you, of course, have John Lewis in the last few years or uh, last few months of his life. Uh, he was battling stage four cancer. And so uh, kind of knowing that those two icons of Georgia politics are no longer with us um, is, a, is a super sad thought. Um, but, you know, Senator Isaacson was very upfront about his Parkinson's diagnosis. He, he kind of hid it for a couple of years after, you know, he was first told about it. But by 2015, he had announced publicly that he was battling with it. And he very much became a, a spokesman for trying to get funding uh, for neurological issues like that. Um, people would send him tips about what to do to, to manage. And he used to always talk about how it wasn't going to let him down. And I mean, truly when, you know, when I saw him in all those years after he announced that he wasn't slowed down at all. Um, yes, you could see his mobility had been decreasing over the years. 
Um, as I mentioned, there was a cane in his hand one day. You know, there, there were some falls that happened. He was being pushed around in the wheelchair. But mentally, he was so, so sharp. And I mean, there are plenty of senators. You know, it's an old institution. There are plenty of men and women who keep serving into their 80s and sometimes even their 90s. And you talk to them and it's so clear that they're not fully there. Uh, but Johnny always was. And so I know it was a heartbreaking decision when he announced at the end of 2019 that he wasn't going to be able to, to fill out his third term. Um, but one of the final initiatives that he announced after he left office called the Isaacson Initiative, a way to secure money for research dollars for Parkinson's and other neurological issues. Um, I know Brian Kemp and the legislature set aside some money for UGA to appoint a chair to kind of do a, a lot of similar research like that. So obviously the impact of, of him and his diagnosis and um, kind of his hopes for the future are going to be felt for years to come in Georgia. Patricia, that's such a very good point, um, especially the one about Senator Isaacson not letting up, not relenting, even after that, that Parkinson's diagnosis and, and other injuries and other illnesses that he suffered um, o- over the years. Uh, he was one of the rare double chairs in the U.S. Senate where he, he, he uh, chaired both the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee and the Senate Ethics Committee. You know, being the chair of one committee is a, is a huge duty. It's a huge time commitment and task. But chairing two committees at once, that was, that was almost unheard of. Yeah, he's also, if he's not the only Georgian to have ever done this, I will check in with the uh, the parliamentarians tomorrow. Uh, he served in the State House, State Senate, U.S. House, and U.S. Senate, one of the very, very few Georgians ever to have done that. Um, and as Tamar said, 45 years um, in the making for that legacy. Um, but Greg, you and I both went to an event for Johnny Isaacson and his Isaacson Initiative earlier this fall. And I mean, when you talk about a packed house for a politician who was no longer in office, not running for anything, and there were well over 800 people at that event, and all really just praising Isaacson and um, looking for any way to support the Isaacson Initiative. And I uh, I know that they had raised almost a million dollars by then. I'm sure there will be more donations coming in. And so it really speaks to the example that Isaacson set and the the really quiet work that he did behind the scenes, but the really large impact that he left behind um, in just about everything he did. And I think this will be um, his uh, his final legacy, but it is poised to have a really important impact because it's what he has let people know was what he wanted to focus on and what was most important to him coming out of the Senate. And so I will be really interested to continue to watch the progress of that initiative. That event was held at the Piedmont Driving Club um, in September and it raised yeah seven figures. It raised about a million dollars, hundreds of attendees. And to me, that was just a testament to the enduring power of the Isaacson way. That happened just a few days after Donald Trump's burn it down rally in, in middle Georgia, where he took the stage and spent just as much time attacking Brian Kemp and fellow Republicans as he did focusing his, his energy on defeating Democrats. And, you know, there was a question in the Republican Party and really in Georgia politics, can, can politicians ever get united on the same page? And just a few days later, we were there as Democratic leaders, Republican leaders. I mean, Brian Kemp and, and Speaker Ralston were both there. The, the video introduction was made by Governor, former Governor Roy Barnes, a Democrat. We saw Democratic leaders, Republican leaders. It was a testament to that Isaacson way, which is find agreement where you can and where you can't. Don't vilify 
don't villainize your opponents. And that was who Johnny Isaacson was. I, I interviewed the senator on Georgia Public Broadcasting in 2019, uh, and, and he told me, sort of he started reflecting on his legacy. He told me what he hoped people would say about him after he passed. Hopefully my epitaph will say he only hoped the weight of his words would be just by how few he did, and that he always worked for the best interest of the people. As long as that's the case, I'm happy. As long as that's the case, I'm happy tomorrow. You know, to me, he had this way of speaking really quickly, so it's hard to boil that down. But really, he's saying he wants his actions to speak louder than his words and for people to know, of course, that, that he was a public servant at heart. Absolutely. And you look at the statements that have poured out today um, in the hours after his passing, and almost every single one of them, Democrat or Republican, use terms like statesmen. Um, for me, as I reflect back on the, the four years where I got to talk to him pretty much every day, um, the first word that comes to mind for me is decent. Um, and how sad it is that there are fewer and fewer people like him in politics today. He was always the kind of person that, even though I'm sure there were many days where the last person he wanted to see was somebody like me, a needling reporter trying to get him to spill his guts on the issue of the day, he always treated me with kindness and with respect. And um, it's kind of sad that we're talking about politics today and the situation of the world, him kind of being the last of a, a dying breed. And um, I remember writing a profile of Senator Isaacson back in 2018, talking to some of his longtime aides, um, you know, and I asked them a similar question. Is he the last of a dying breed? Um, and I believe it was Heath Garrett, his longtime chief of staff and longtime political advisor, who said, I sure do hope not. I, I hope there are other Johnny Isaacsons out there who can continue that legacy, who won't just want to speak to the, the fiery talk show host, uh, but who will want to kind of quietly do good things for the world. And, and I agree with them. Hopefully there are more of those out there. Patricia, I kind of get the feeling that our grandkids will be studying not just Johnny Isaacson, but also John Lewis, these two giants of the Georgia political stage and the national stage who have passed in the last few years. Yeah, it, he was one of those people, along with John Lewis, it was just really an honor, I feel like, to watch them do their work. And when we were seeing all of these tributes come in, as Tamar was saying, um, I absolutely noticed that Stacey Abrams had glowing words to say about Johnny Isaacson. So did Brian Kemp, and so did David Perdue. And so you have, even in this one brief moment, here is something that all three of those rivals can agree on. And by the statements that they put out, they were all really personal. And so you know in reading those that Johnny Isaacson left a mark on all three of those people, all three of those leaders and future leaders. And it's just an example. I think we can all hope that they have internalized and will follow. And I think so much about that moment with John Lewis and Johnny Isaacson, and it just went viral in a way that I know neither one of them anticipated. Um, I'm sure it's the only time Johnny Isaacson went viral for anything. Um, <laughs> but I think it's because there is such a thirst for that kind of genuine, um, not just friendship, but genuine respect across the aisle um, to men who believed just passionately in their own principles, but who understood that the people on the other side of the aisle were um, were human and uh, deserved dignity and respect. And I think that's the, the legacy that they both leave behind. Um, something that kind of explains the way that, that Senator Isaacson operated across the aisle. He was really fond of these kind of small acts of kindness. Um, and you'd see him doing it all the time. Um, 
and and while they were small, I think they really left an impression on on people. Uh, every year at, at the State of the Union address with the the president, uh, each member of Congress gets a guest that they can bring. Often people will bring constituents, sometimes their spouses, sometimes a person to make a political point. Uh, but Senator Isaacson always made a point to invite a Democrat, um, kind of a cross-aisle gesture. He invited uh, Senator Warnock uh, way before he'd entered politics when he was still the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. Uh, I guess he still is now, but before he entered politics, he invited uh, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms one year. And I know that's something that really stuck with her. She talks about it uh, pretty frequently. Um it's those little moments like that, like every Martin Luther King Jr. Day when he'd go to Ebenezer Baptist Church, go and sit through that um, service every year, which is something the lion's share of Republicans would never do. People remember stuff like that. Um, and I think that says a lot about the, the kind of way that he built bridges and built the trust of people who he might not have had a ton in common with. Thank you both so much for joining the special edition of Politically Georgia podcast to speak about the life and legacy of the late Senator John Isaacson. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.